0: Thank you all so much for coming to our Nine Marks event, Women in the Local Church. How many of you have heard of Nine Marks before? Wow. Okay, who hasn't heard of Nine Marks? A few of you. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming. Um, We are here and having this panel because we love the local church, and we love the church because Jesus loves the local church. Um, Some of you have probably heard of Nine Marks before, and you're like, why are they having an event at a women's conference? Because Nine Marks is for pastors. And those are dudes. Um, But tonight, we wanted to show you that Nine Marks isn't just for the pastor. It's also for the pew. Our goal is to equip women to know what a healthy church is and how you can work to build up the local church by being committed to biblical principles. Hint, those are the Nine Marks. Um, Women play a vital role in the life of the church. So this isn't a discussion on complementarianism or our specific roles as women in the church, but rather the vital and active role that women can and should play in the life of the church. So Nine Marks is for all Christians who want to see the church glorify God. That's why we're here, and we're so excited that you all have joined us. So I'll quickly, we want to dive in, so I'll quickly introduce who we are on the panel. My name is Karen McCutcheon. I currently go to Covenant Life Church in Tampa, Florida, and I um, have worked for Nine Marks for the past nine years. Used to be full-time, and now I work part-time. This is, I'll let y'all you introduce yourselves.
1: I'm Carrie Fulmer, and um, my husband is the senior pastor at the United Christian Church of Dubai. And I um, basically run the women's ministries there and do some writing.
2: I'm Beb Barris, and we just recently moved back from Dubai where my husband was in ministry. And we're now at First Baptist
3: Church of Hacienda Heights in California. And my name is Abigail Morse, and I, was, I have also returned several months ago from uh, serving in Dubai on missions, and I'm now in Minnesota, got married nine months ago, and husband works for Desiring God, so we're in St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis, at Bethlehem.
0: Great. And we all lived in Dubai together, which is a fun fact. <laughs> And I didn't really plan that when we put the panel together. It just happened that way. Um, So Carrie Fulmer is going to start us off by going through just to give you a biblical vision of the church. And then Bev is going to talk about an overview of the nine marks. And then we're going to talk about specifically how that applies to us as Christian women in the church. Do you want this on?
1: Yeah. Can you hear me if I talk like that? Or am I not close enough? (laughs) We'll kind of leaning lean
0: <laughs> Do you want two for you? Okay. Thanks. Serving—it's one of the marks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, what is your favorite image of the church? The Bible uses several analogies for the church: a temple, a family, a body. Each of these showcase intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. The church is a unified, redeemed people with whom God dwells. They enjoy fellowship with him and with each other. Peter describes the church like this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people— but now you are God's people. So the church is God's people who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. I love all the images and what they convey, but I think the most beautiful image in the Bible that the, that the Bible uses for the church is in Revelation 21. And if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Revelation 21. This image is the bride of Christ. So, chapter 21 describes the culmination of God's kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. This bride is the church perfected. It's an image of the universe recreated and God's people finally redeemed. And God will dwell with his people and he will be their God. The bride is described in verse 9 and following. So look with me there at the end of verse 9. And notice the beauty of this bride. The angel says to John, "'Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb.' And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal.'" The wife of the lamb has the glory of God, her radiance like a rare jewel. This radiance is further described in verses 18 to 21. So look with me there. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, transparent as glass. In Dubai, we have a gold souk, where every shop is lined with gold and jewels. It's very dazzling to walk through the gold souk. But here we see the street is pure gold. The walls are adorned with precious jewels. The gates themselves are made from single pearls. This is a description of the church. Notice John has shifted the image. The bride is a city where believers dwell with each other and with God. They dwell with him as his treasured possession. This is what we will be. There's nothing ugly in this city. All our imperfect churches with sinful people like us in them, we are becoming a dazzling, diverse, Beautiful bride to be presented to Christ and live with him forever. Already we've received the status of bride, but one day we will attain to the reality of it. So, until that day, what is a local church? Is it three women who meet at Starbucks to study the Bible together? Karen would like that. Is it a few couples in a neighborhood who meet for prayer? No, the Bible gives us a more exacting standard. There's a good definition in Acts 2. So turn your Bibles a little bit back to Acts 2. We're going to read verses 41 to 42. The Holy Spirit has just come down with miraculous power, and the believers are speaking in tongues, proclaiming Christ and what he's done to everyone. Then Peter preaches the gospel in the power of the Spirit, and he calls on the people to repent and believe. So here's what happens in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In these two verses, we learn six features of the early church. So, very briefly, six features of the early church. One, they received the word of the apostle. Who was added to their number that day? Those who, verse 41, received the word. That Peter preached. They repented and believed the gospel. That Jesus took on the wrath of God, died for for their sin, and was raised on the third day. Faith comes not through miracles or cutting-edge videos or good works. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of Christ. They received the word. Two, they were baptized. Verse 41. Baptism is the public profession that we have died with Christ and been raised to life with him. It's the entry gate into the church. These believers didn't just melt into the background and keep quiet. They stood out. They went public through baptism. Three, they added to their number. Verse 41, 3,000 were added that day. The church goes out and brings people in. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sometimes we plant seeds and we don't see any growth. But we continue planting and waiting. And in time, by God's grace, we add to our number. Four, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's in verse 42. The apostles were there with the church, teaching them about Jesus. Today, we have that testimony in the Bible. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching by the right preaching of the word and scriptural reading, singing, prayer, and encouragement. We today must be devoted not to entertainment, not to modern methods, but to the Bible, That's how we grow spiritually. Five, they devoted themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Verse 42, they spent time together. They were in one another's homes. They loved one another. This is not a church who met on Sunday and then said goodbye for the rest of the week. The hospitality and fellowship that we see here is like blood circulating in the body. It keeps the church alive. The breaking of bread may be a reference to the Lord's Supper, the other ordinance along with baptism that sets the church apart from the world. This meal was a symbol of their unity in Christ, their love for one another. They were devoted to each other. Six, they also devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 42. Prayer is the open acknowledgement that God has the wisdom and power for life, and we don't. These first Christians trusted in God and not in themselves. We need Him. We long for Him. And so our churches should pray together. This shows our dependence on Him. We should be devoted to corporate prayer. So what do we see in the early church? They were a gathering of baptized believers, both male and female, who celebrated the Lord's Supper together and were devoted to right preaching, prayer, and fellowship. This is the description of a biblical church, and these are the means that God uses to make us into that radiant bride. One day we will be made ready clothed in linen bright and pure this is why our highest commitment while we wait for jesus return should be to our local church we'll spend eternity with her
0: with christ in our midst thank you so much Um, so to help us flesh that out a little bit bev is going to go through um just an overview of what the nine marks are and then we'll get into it practically Thank you, Carrie, for that teaching. So we see
2: that the the, the church is a gathered people and not a place. <clears throat> gathered together, the church displays what God is like. <clears throat> Excuse my voice. As Carrie said, Scripture calls us the bride of Christ, his body. And much like Eve, who was formed out of the first Adam, Christ's bride was formed out of the second Adam, who is her head. I remember being shocked after I went from being at a not-so-healthy church to a church with robust gospel health, and previously I'd had a very individualistic viewpoint of scripture reading, and as if it existed only to encourage my individual walk. Um, And the Bible does do that, but I think what I've been surprised by is that as I've read through the New Testament, and if you do it in one sitting, you'll find that almost all the epistles were written to local churches or to individuals about local churches. And I wonder if you see your identity as a Christian this way, as part of a whole. So here's kind of my main point. The extent to which we theologically grasp our belonging to Christ's body will be demonstrated in our participation in a local church. So the extent to which we theologically understand our belonging to Christ's body will be demonstrated in our participation in a local church. So where in Scripture do we see God's desire for healthy local churches As Carson talked about today, the Old Testament details the story of a group of people Mm -hmm. redeemed and set apart by God to bring him glory. And in Exodus, as early as Exodus, God called them Israel, and they were to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. And Carrie mentioned earlier, 1 Peter describes us the same way, the New Covenant Church. It is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known to all people and places. The church makes known God's wisdom. And it is of cosmic importance. First Timothy 3 says, "I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth." So in this passage, is Paul calling elders and pastors the pillars and buttress of truth? No, he calls the church of the living God." So what does a healthy church look like? I'm going to run real as fast as I can through nine attributes. You have been troopers to, like, sit through a day of teaching and then come here. Um, And we want to encourage you. So I'm going to run through it as quickly as I can. And to start, um, Paul wrote this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. God loved us first, and healthy churches display his love. So the first mark, expositional preaching. This is how we are taught. So it's like a fancy word for how we are taught. It's when the main point of the passage or the sermon is the main point. No, the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. Our God is a speaking God, and we need to hear what he says. Expository preaching exposes God's word. This means scripture drives the sermon, not the pastor. The preacher is simply the mouthpiece. Did you know that it's Our responsibility to lovingly make sure preachers are committed to hearing and preaching God's word. This is so that the church would conform to Christ's image and not to the image of the the leadership. Not all topical sermons are bad. Sometimes we need them. But regular expositional preaching is a safeguard for churches to know God's thoughts and to hear the good shepherd's voice the loudest. There can be a kind of preaching that leaves people malnourished and actually hides God's word from his people. Pray that it would not be so in our churches. Pray that the faithful expository preaching would be the way God's people are fed in local churches around the world. This leads to the second mark, biblical theology. If expositional preaching is how, if it's how we are taught, then biblical theology is what we are taught. We need to understand how our Bibles fit together. And often in the New Testament epistles, you'll find that the writers are warning people about those who've abandoned sound doctrine. This warning wasn't only for the leadership of the churches. It was for the local churches because they are the pillars of truth. God assumes that those who are his will protect his message this applies to elders, but we should also strive to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that we will be sound in the faith, Titus 1.13. Sisters, may we be devoted to learning all of God's word, beginning to end, in humility and with prayerfulness towards the goal of faithfully reflecting what God is like. This leads to the third mark, a biblical understanding of the gospel, So what is this trustworthy message that we have been entrusted with? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And to quote Mark Dever, it's the news that the judge will become the father if only we repent and believe. We need the gospel, and not just as our entrance into the kingdom, but every hour of every day, we need the gospel. The gospel is the cornerstone of all our biblical theology. It's the heart of Christianity, and so it should be our church's heart too we should care more about having a biblical understanding of the gospel than anything else about our churches. In 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, Paul wrote that he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which leads to the fourth mark or the fourth attribute, a biblical understanding of conversion. Conversion is God's work in us. So I'll say that again. Conversion is God's work in us, and it equals repentance and faith. Being convinced of our sin and our shame and our danger, we turn away from our life of sin to God to take hold of life in Him. Our greatest need will always be for God Himself. But this is from another quote from the book, conversion is not reciting a creed or saying a prayer. It's not becoming a Westerner. Conversion is turning with our whole lives from self justification to Christ's justification on our behalf, from self rule to God's rule. And true conversion happens through faith, not from ourselves. It's a gift from God. A church's understanding of conversion will be obvious. You'll see it in the sermons, the songs that we choose to sing, the prayers that are prayed in public, and as Carrie mentioned, how a church practices, or whether they practice baptism, the Lord's Supper, and other scriptural commands. So true conversion always results in radical change. This leads to the fifth mark, a biblical understanding of evangelism. If a church is marked by a biblical understanding of conversion, then it should also have a biblical understanding of evangelism. If we believe that our greatest problems are other people, then other people, other circumstances, or jobs, or needing money or more stuff, then we will not evangelize. We will encourage people to try to control and manipulate, manipulate life to fix our problems. It's only when the church is full of people who understand that their greatest need is for spiritual conversion, and only then that members will evangelize. As a church puts the gospel front and center, their people will delight in God's kindness and be more prepared to freely share the good news with others. The sixth mark is is meaningful membership. And when I say membership, it might trigger thoughts of country clubs, Costco, special interest groups, I don't know, AAA. But that isn't the type of membership that we find in the Bible. The Bible says we are members of Christ's body just as we have family members, right? So family members, we are members of God's household. As Carrie pointed out from Acts, after the conversion of those 3,000 souls, they were baptized, devoted to learning from the apostles, to breaking bread together and praying. To be saved is to be saved into the body. In Scripture, we have a great example of a members meeting. Membership at work in Acts 6. The first time deacons were instituted in the church. <laughs> so the first time deacons were instituted in the church was because ethnic favoritism lost my place there. Was occurring in the daily distribution of food to widows. That's the first time deacons show up. So the elders gathered the whole church and they asked them to put forward seven godly and qualified men to serve the church. So they'll just gather the whole church and in order to prevent godless ethnic favoritism that should not mark the blood-bought children of God, the membership of that local church agreed and put forward seven men to serve. And as a result of this valuable piece of church business, we see that the word of God went out and many were saved. Our commitment to a local church is a direct reflection of our living commitment to the living God. He it must demonstrate that we are taking hold of each other in responsibility and love, carrying out the one another's of scripture. The seventh mark is church discipline. We're almost there. A church that is concerned with faithfully reflecting what God is like will practice church discipline. I won't spend a lot of time on this because Carson talked a lot about it today, but it it simply means having a concern for the holiness of the whole body because. Jesus' reputation is at stake. Jesus taught that those in the church have a responsibility to each other to rebuke unrepentant sin, sometimes even to the extent that it happens publicly. It's helpful to think of discipline in two ways, formative and corrective. Discipline can be formative, like the sermons, teaching, discipling relationships. All that helps shape a congregation, forms it into the image of Christ. But corrective discipline is also the responsibility of the church, both Jesus and the apostles gave instructions in Scripture on public corrective discipline if it came to that in the churches. Taking God's side against our sin means being faithful in church discipline. The eighth mark is biblical discipleship and growth. While we are fully regenerated, redeemed, and justified, it is only on that final day of Jesus's return that we'll be those things in full. In the meantime. A healthy church is concerned with growth because it's a sign of life. Anything that's not growing is dying. And true growth is growth in grace and holiness. So we strive for this kind of growth with the strength that God provides. Again, from the book, Why, what, what is a Healthy Church? Mark writes, Neglecting holiness results in hard-to-grow disciples. It's like a garden where the weeds are never pulled or good things are never planted. In Titus 2, the role of discipleship in the church was so that God's word would not be spoken of poorly. Biblical discipleship and growth are for the glory of God as we adorn the gospel with holy living instead of bringing it shame. Finally, church leadership, the ninth mark. And I'm going to focus primarily on elders. So elders are devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, Acts 6. God says that they are a gift to the church, Ephesians 4, 11, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry in order to grow and mature the body of Christ. So healthy churches abide by biblical qualifications and responsibilities for selecting and joyfully submitting to elders. Healthy churches will pray for and they'll affirm good leadership. Just as there is an office of an elder, there is an office of a church member. Being a member of God's family comes with a list of responsibilities. If any pastor preaches doctrine or a gospel different than what God has given us, we, his body, must root out the cancer and eradicate it. So in conclusion, there is no perfect church, but any church can be healthier than it is. That health is intended to be a faithful reflection of what God is like. God gets the glory and we prosper as those under his care. We can tell how important each of these marks is simply by imagining what it would be like if you took it away from a church. Sermons would become shallow. Even heresy, maybe heresy could be taught unwillingly, unwittingly. The church might be indistinguishable from the world. Maybe people don't feel a need for God. People would remain self-centered as opposed to Christ-centered People may have made what seem like sincere commitments to follow Christ, and yet on that day, he'll say, I never knew you. And perhaps God starts to look a little more like us than we do look like him. If you are in a church that is growing in these areas, praise the Lord. Your pastors love God, and they love you. But even some of us are in difficult church situations today, and we don't need to be afraid, for Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus loves his bride. He is her Savior. So let us cherish what he cherishes. Let's live in such a way that when an unbeliever or an outsider come into our midst, as 1 Corinthians 14 25 says, they will see us and declare, truly, God is among you.
0: Great. Thank you, Bev. Um, I'm just going to ask a couple questions, and then at the end, we'll open it up to questions if any of you have any. Um, I was wondering if one or all of you could share how being committed um, to the local church has grown your love for the Lord
3: personally. They look at me because they've spoken. (laughs) Uh, It's increased my love for the Lord. Oh. I don't know if I'm sappy, uh, but the uh, the constant reminder of uh, Christ slaying the dragon of sin—he slays the dragon, he gets the girl—and <laughs> um, maybe it's because I'm just married, or maybe I don't know. What, but um, but loving Christ because He loved us first, and His seeing His love for the bride. Um, in scripture, and even as we um, play that out, has I mean, I was I mean, single into my thirties before getting married, and being a part of the local church was the most visible reminder weekly um, that I was loved by Christ deeply, that He um, folds me into His family, and that and that I wasn't. Alone and so seeing it um in that way and being able to give myself to the work of uh of the lord was was huge when I changed similarly from being in an unhealthy church for a long time into a healthy church.
0: Do you want to talk to us about your transition from an unhealthy church to a healthy church no <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, uh, I I grew up in a in an in an unhealthy church, um, I didn't know it was unhealthy. I mean, I think that's kind of how it works for a lot of us. Um, didn't really have membership, and so not a lot of church discipline, really, because who? How do you discipline those who are not really members? I mean, um, so a lot of that, and I just, yeah, you didn't, you couldn't distinguish really um, cultural Christianity from true Christianity, because there wasn't a clear category of regeneration. Uh, and that was big, because I I got saved hard <laughs> reading the Bible. And it was a conversion experience. And I didn't understand why my friends who grew up in the church were not obedient to the Lord, or why they didn't desire him. And I didn't understand that it's just because we were churched our whole lives and not that there wasn't conversion. But in some ways, because the gospel wasn't proclaimed very clearly, and the preaching wasn't expositional, so the things are, the marks are tied together in how they affect how we do community. And so I was increasingly longing for this community, that this body, this family that the scripture described, that I didn't see, that I saw in individuals, but not in a, in a people. Um, and then when I joined a healthy church uh, in Louisville for the first time, <laughs> I wept for 12 straight Sundays at just, I couldn't get over it. I mean, the first Sunday I was there, I sat there when it was over, and I'm like, what just happened here? (laughs) And I just cried, because the prayers were Christ-exalting, full of the gospel, the way that people exhorted each other, addressed each other, the songs and how they proclaimed, and even the sense that we were singing to God and to each other, um, was weird because usually before worship was an individual experience, you know, and, and, and just to think that we're singing to God and we're singing, we're encouraging each other, and, and the sermon was coming out of the text. We were going through Deuteronomy, um, ironically, and just I was just thinking, oh, man, we're doing this awkward chapter in Deuteronomy, and to see the life and the gospel that came out of these chapters that we would never do in topical sermons like I was used to, um, big big change, um, and it and that was part of what stirred not just love for the Lord but love for His bride, and even on a repentance of despising His bride for so long because I'm like, oh, the church is whack, like they <laughs> so dull or so, and seeing it as a vibrant example of what it should be um, made all all the difference for me, and I've become in a lot of ways. I don't work for Nine Marks. I have nothing to do with Nine Marks, except experiencing it in a healthy church and saying that is what is supposed to look like. That is, signs and wonders are nothing compared to the body of Christ that are pointing to the head who is invisible now, but, but the body is so vibrant. Um, and so that's been my experience. And it's a recent one. I mean, recent years. Um, so most of my years were in an unhealthy. And so it's still very fresh. and exciting.
0: (laughs) I love that story. Um, We live in a very self-centered, me-focused culture. Um, So part of when we're hearing about what the church is and then the nine marks, they seem very focused on others and submitting yourself to elders and to submitting yourself to membership and being part of a local body of church, of the church. How has um, pouring out into the life of others in the congregation, grown your, your love or understanding of what the church is and how the church should live life together. And Bev, I will call on her because she is an amazing example of someone, she will not tell you, so I will just tell you for her, who, her and her husband, Jason, they are wonderful examples of people who have poured out their lives for the sake of the church. So it's not a formal, like, I'm going to only, you know, disciple two women this week and I'll meet them on these very specific days and it's a project or they literally live their life. They would have widows, single people, people that are struggling, people from all ethnicities in their home at all times, um, just giving them biblical wisdom and loving them and living life with them. And I think that's such a beautiful picture of what the church is. And it can be such a, um, life-giving place for us. And I think for so many women, the church is not a life-giving place, but it really can be. And I think that's part of what we want to express here, that by us pouring into others in our church, um, we're, we're doing what God has called us to, do, and we will reap so many benefits from that. Um, so, Bev, how did you get to a place in life where, I know you probably don't think you do it, but where you guys literally just pour yourself out for the sake of others and just involve yourself really, in the whole life of the church? Uh, the Bible told me to do it. <laughs>
2: no, I mean, I think, um, okay, I'm, like, hearing your question. I think I'd flip it a little bit and say it's my theological understanding that fuels what I how I live my life. And, um, and there's so much there to unpack. Like, there's just so much in Scripture. So my simple answer is, my theology fuels the way that I live. And having had women model it to me in a good church, having not had that growing up was like huge. So there's a a quote from, if you go to the nine marks table, you can see a book called Discipleship by Mark Dever. And in it, he has this quote, he says like, discipleship is kind of like a time bomb that goes off later on to a place where he cannot go which is the future. And I think, when I think about the church, I think, what? how can I How can I affect the church that I will never see in the future? And that's by discipling people now.
0: So. so say someone's sitting here and they're like, okay, I understand what the Bible says about the church. I agree with all the nine marks, but I'm just a person in the pew. I can't affect what my pastor preaches on or whether or not we have membership. How can... Um, what does it mean for us to be active members of the local church, given our discussion today? Um, and how can we help lead the charge towards moving our, our churches towards health as individual women in the church?
1: Thabiti um, Anubile has written, Christy's husband, has written a good book on that. What is a healthy church member? So get that book. Um, but I, I oh, we're think... We're
2: giving it out free. We're giving it oh. out free at the, at the booth.
1: Oh. Okay, so go to the booth, go to the Nine Marks booth and get that book. It's a great book. But I think um, the the first part of your question, um, if, if you are a woman and you're in a church and you have concerns about that, I, I think just pouring yourself out and doing hospitality in your home, bringing people over, whether you're single or married, whether you have little kids, or, um, or your kids are out of the home, bringing people into your home, especially those people who aren't exactly like you. I mean, it's great to have moms have a play date with, with other moms and everything, but um, it's really wonderful when a young mom has students over or um, a widow over. And um, making those relationships and pouring into the church, you're going to cause people to up their their commitment level to the church too. So I, I think doing that, serving in whatever way you can, the best way to serve your church is to be there you know, when when the doors open, be there and be having conversations, intentional biblical conversations with people after the sermon. Instead of talking to somebody about the TV show that you saw the other night, talk to them about the sermon. Ask them questions about, oh, what did you think when the pastor said this, um, or what did you think of that verse? Those are just ways that you can pour into other people in the church and, and really add to a culture
3: of discipling in your church. Yeah. And I, uh, when I joined UCCD, so Carrie's husband is the pastor there, and one of the things he told me, so I come from – Latino church where they just need, you need hands. And so serving everywhere, tons of leadership, all this jazz. And so he's, he said to me, don't rush in to sign up for ministries. I think he like read it on my face, you know, just this kind of <laughs> eagerness. And he's like, don't rush in to sign up for, you know, youth ministry or this so or that. Take time. This is when I first became a member. And he's like, and just enjoy the ministry of the pew. And I was like, oh, okay. And at first I was like, but I want to do this. I want to do music. And, um, but it was so freeing. And I don't say that for those who are teaching. I think that's great. If you have big jobs, you have to be there early. You're doing admin. Power to you. But the freedom to be able to show up and, like Kara says, and you're just, and, and in your mind, are simple things. Make every conversation count. That's it. You know, like sometimes just those conversations, I have 30 minutes before a service and seeing people like, oh, I've never met her. And then meeting her and what's your story? How did you come to faith? And so, not necessarily even an evangelism, but um, the freedom to show up and I don't have to be there early for a rehearsal. And you have these conversations and in those, building those relationships that then in some cases became evangelistic as you discover, oh, I don't even know if she knows the Lord but she's been coming here for a few months or, you know, you get into the, the, the details. And so when I think of ministry of the, few, the pew, I think freedom to in your own personality, in your own individuality, your shyness or extroversion, whatever that looks like, that you can build those friendships or relationships in which you're building up people and in that way, building up the church. Um, And so it's kind of, it feels sneaky because you're like, I haven't met, who haven't I met here? And, and then just in building and exchanging phone numbers and saying, yeah, we'll be in touch. And then the service starts and you know, five more people than, you know, I knew five more people that I didn't know last week. And now I'm singing in my heart, my mind to five more people that I just met. And so just in that way, kind of sneakily uh, doing the work of the Lord. She's
0: obviously an extrovert. (laughs) I am too, so I hear you, but I feel like some people would hear that and be like, I don't want to meet five people every week. (laughs) Um, You can meet one. one. There you go. Um, So we were talking about this a little bit today, but just how we're culture makers in our homes. We're also culture makers in the church. So we were discussing today how we know so many people who have just been faithful members of the church, and they have had some of the biggest impact on the life of the church more than someone who is the Bible study leader or the women's ministry director or someone that was the head of the kids' ministry. like Those roles are so important, and we praise God for them and their work. But we really need us average. I'm assuming you're all average. We are. um, Average, just normal people to be committed to what they were saying, attending the service regularly, listening to the preached word, becoming members of the church. So that means... Um, knowing other people, as we've discussed, which, you know, reaching out to them, asking them questions when someone is under church discipline, praying for them, um, knowing what's going on in the life of the (laughs) church, and then also letting yourself be known by the church. I can think of when I started going to Capitol Hill Baptist Church, I just somehow missed the memo that like part of going to church was the evening service. So for like six months, I didn't go. And I would run into people on the street Going to church, and they're like, Are you coming to church tonight? I'm like, No, I have other things to do. (laughs) And finally, someone's like, No, I really think being part of the church, you need to go to the evening service. And I went and I was like, Wow, this is like a family, and this is where you hear everything that is going on in the life of the church. And I started growing in my love for that particular local church. And then when someone I don't know is getting married, it's like we all get together and go serve them and help. Do things for their wedding, and the more you're doing those things, you're building up others, you're encouraging other people, and then going to church is not so much about us and our experience, but it's building up others. And just what you said about having intentional conversations—I remember too, you know—we'd go to lunch, and people would say, "What do you think of the sermon?" And I'm like, "No, I really just want to tell you like all these funny things that happened all week." Um, <laughs> but the conversation kept being directed toward that. But years later, I'm so thankful for that, and for people who actually care about my soul. And they're not, they're not okay just leaving the conversation at something superficial. Like it really doesn't matter what happened to me this week. It's what matters is years of growth I've had as a believer. So I think the thing we would want to say mostly to encourage the women here is just that you have, you're so vital to your church and you don't have to be listed in the bulletin or even known by a lot of people. It's Really, just meeting someone, and I encourage you to meet someone different than who you are. So, I was single for a long time, long well, time, 37, 36, I don't know. Um, and I really struggled with singleness, but I also had a really full life. And I think a lot of that was due to my active role in the church, and they were really my family. And then when I got married, I was so sad to leave, even though I was happy to get married, but I'm like, wait, this is my family. And, um, I think the church just has so much to give and they've corrected me when I've been wrong and people that know you well enough to say, Karen, you are sinning or you're thinking about that the wrong way or you're focusing on your own circumstances or I know you're not regularly in the word, like what's going on in your life. Um, Just doing that for each other, I think that's the most important thing that women can do um, in the local church. So we don't all need to be writing books. I mean, it's great that there's so many, but... We don't have to be that fancy. We just need to love other people and put ourselves in the word and commit ourselves to um, the preaching. I don't mean to give a sermon. Can I, right. can I say one thing yes. to moms? Yes. Um,
1: I really firmly believe that the best thing you can do for your kids spiritually is be committed to your local church. Be make sure that they are your family, that it's your highest commitment that you're not doing sports instead of going on Sunday mornings to church, you know, with your kids, even if you have to sacrifice for that, um, because when kids see um, the love, I mean, what does the Bible tell us? That they'll know us by our love, right? The outside world, and, and your kids are the outside world, um, and they'll know um, that you're a Christian by the commitment that you have. And I've seen so many women um, be really committed to their children and want to give them everything. And, and that, that taking them actually away from the church, because they're involved in so many other things. And when, when the church becomes your family, they become your kids' family. And it it holds them tightly in. And then when they go off to college someday, they can't imagine going to university and not being in a church. So my daughters, I have one who graduated this year. I had one who graduated two years ago. Before they went to college, they made sure that there were healthy churches where they were gonna go, and they decided not to go places where they couldn't find a healthy church. And so be sure that if you are a mom, that you're plugged into the church and that it's just a no-brainer for your family. Oh, we're going to church, and maybe it's a no-brainer for your family that that the kids go to youth group or whatever, but, but that's your family, that's your friend group. And um, there's so much controversy about church kids leaving the church. And I think that this is the way that we, we make sure that they stay. They hear the gospel constantly from us and the pulpit. And, um, and we show them our love for the church, and not our grumbling at the church, but our love for the church and our commitment to the church. And, and they'll be committed too. By the grace of
0: God. <laughs> yeah, and one thing I would just add to that is we all know this, that no church is perfect. So spending our time looking for or being critical of the pastors and the elders is just not helpful to our own souls or to the souls of the others in the church. And stealing from Ryan Townsend, he's the director of Nine Marks, he always <laughs> says, um, he always talks about elements and forms. So the elements are what is important and not necessarily the forms. So all of our churches can look so different in the way that they do things. But you want to make sure that um, the church you're attending has the right elements, that the gospel is preached faithfully. That is the main thing. um, And that they're teaching from God's word. And just what Bev was saying, that what is in scripture is driving the sermon, not what the pastor wants to say. And churches are all going to look different. And all churches have so much room to grow in health um but i think we can play such a vital role in helping our churches move in that direction by just being committed to the word and committing to those who God has put in the church with us um are there any final thoughts you all have are you sure Abby, I know you have something to say. Just,
3: just little, just little itty bitty. I was a big podcaster, and one of the big things about the healthy church that shifted that. I'm not against podcasts or listening to sermons, all for it, especially washing dishes, um, marriage. That no, any, anyway. So one of the big things was um, considering being a people and having specific leaders, elders, uh, and the weight. Uh, that started to come even from Hebrews about obeying leaders and that being something where the application questions uh, from your pastor or from an elder who's preaching at your church would carry more weight um, than even what different things that I hear because it's coming from, so it's like, I'm obeying this leader. I'm obeying my pastor and where he's shepherding us as a people. Um, And so, I wanted to mention that because it's made a huge difference um, in 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 feeling like I'm a part of this people, this church, and these are my leaders, and I'm accountable to the Lord for my obedience to Him under um, these leaders. Even when it's something, you know, I mentioned to the ladies earlier that Pastor John, you know, he two minutes he said, uh, you know, we have church big big church, seven hundred, you know, people that attend, um, and we'd have weddings and they were open ceremonies, and he's like. I want to make uh an exhortation for for you to attend a wedding of a member here um even if you don't know him, even if you don't know her. And I thought that's so weird. Like what a weird thing to expect. And he said, you know, we've covenanted to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and as a body and, you know, shared a few other exhortations and and it ha- it made a difference. As so I'm thinking, I feel more responsible to the Lord because he's my pastor for that exhortation. Um, and so even just as a follower, as a member, um, that's shaping the way that we respond to the Lord. Yeah.
0: Anything else? Okay. Um, it's already been an hour, and I know it's so late. So thank you all so much for coming. And we hope you just leave with a vision and a love for the local church